But I remember I got my first bicycle, a red Diamondback Sorrento that I actually won in a race when I was like 10. And that bike was my freedom machine. And I would ride it all over Boulder, around the trails around here, just by myself. And I loved the feeling of getting outside, moving my body on a bicycle and just exploring. Hi everyone, this is John Summerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative. Welcome to the Active Towns Podcast, conversations about the people, places, programs, and policies that help to promote a culture of activity within our communities. It's great to have you along for the ride. And what a ride we have in store for you in this episode with Ryan Van Duzer of Boulder, Colorado, and Duzer TV out on YouTube. It's always so much fun to catch up with Ryan. He has so much energy and so much passion for getting people outside. We start talking about a recent run that he did down in Mexico for the Caballo Blanco Ultra Marathon, as well as talking about electric bikes and how that has really opened up the world for his mother and so many other wonderful things, including doing grocery shopping by bike. Anyways, without further ado, let's get to that episode with Ryan Van Duzer. Ryan Van Duzer, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the Active Towns podcast. How are you, sir? I'm excited to be here. Thank you, my friend. It's a good day. Yeah, it is a good day. So, hey, I know you just got back in town. Uh, Why don't we kick this off by telling us where you were and what you were doing? I was down in the northern part of Mexico in the Copper Canyons to run an ultra marathon. For those of you out there who have read the book Born to Run, Uh, This is the race that is featured in that book with the amazing duel with Scott Jurek and the local Tarumara Indians. I read that book in 2015 and decided that I needed to go down there and see it myself. So this was my fourth time down there in the last five years. And it's it's a magical, beautiful, wonderful place. Now, wait a minute. What year did you read that book? 2015. Oh, really? Okay. So it was literally just five years ago. Yeah. That you read it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it came out quite a bit earlier than that. Right, right. For some reason, I had thought you were engaged and connected with that whole crew for a lot longer than you have. Oh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So you've actually become quite close uh, with, you know, several of the characters from that particular. uh, For sure. uh, I've become friends with Scott Jurek. He lives here in Boulder. Uh, Barefoot Ted lives in California and comes down to the canyons every year. And a lot of the other friends of Micah True, Caballo Blanco, who go down every year. And, you know, his goal with that event was to bring the world to the canyon so it could be this shared cultural experience where we could learn and celebrate with the local Raramari, the Tarumata Indians that live in these beautiful canyons. Wow. Yeah, that's I am so jealous. I, I definitely want to make my my way down there for that event one of these days. It's neat to see that that particular event is still happening. Um, how many people come out annually for that? It's gotten really big. So first of all, the town at the bottom of these canyons called Eureka is a teeny town of 1200 people. It's essentially one street long and it's a beautiful little Mexican village essentially with the brightly colored homes and there's donkeys running around and children it's very safe and idyllic and it smells like flowers every time i've been there in march it smells like a flower shop because all the 
the flowers are in, in town and the canyons are blooming. So it's just a, a magical place. And now I would say there's about a thousand people in the race. And now there's a kids race involved as well, where about a thousand kids come to the races on, and the kids race takes, uh, the, takes place the day before. Okay. So it's a big event and all lots of the Tarumata Indians will walk from villages far, far away. It take them an entire day just to get to this town. And uh, there's huge encampments of them everywhere. Everybody's camping out. And it's kind of like the ragbri of uh, ultra events. Right, right. Exactly. Well, okay. Now, now we have to dive into that uh, that, <laughs> that topic. You just said ragbri. Right. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and define that for the listeners. Ragbri is the Register's annual great bike ride across Iowa, which stands for ragbri. It is the longest oldest running uh, bike touring event in the world. It's been going on for a little bit more than 40 years in the state of Iowa. And about 20,000 people go do that event. And they ride from the uh, west side of uh, Iowa all the way to the east side, uh, crisscrossing the state. And it is a celebration of bikes and culture and people and pie. <laughs> and pie. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, you've done it a couple times now, right? Yeah, I've done it four times now. I love it. It's it's my favorite bike event on the calendar. It really brings out what I always say, the best of small town America, the best of humanity. It's all levels and ability from kids to adults to uh, anybody who wants to just ride a bike. It's not a race. There's not as much spandex there as you'd see at a normal bike event. And you ride, you know, five or 10 miles and hey, look, that farm's having a little bake sale. You go have fun there. Then you ride another five miles and this farm's having a party. Then you ride another 10 miles and you're in a town for the lunch stop and there's slip and slides and all sorts of fun games. And it really is. It's like a rolling county fair. Great description of that, too. And uh, for the listeners, uh, you can actually dive into some of the video archives that Ryan has posted on this particular event. Now, this past year, you did something rather special, right? Yeah, I decided to ride my bike to the start of Ragbri. So I left my house here in Boulder, Colorado, rode about 600 miles to Omaha. It started this year in Council Bluffs. It's, it changes every year. The route's always different. But the most special part of it was that I brought my mom and some of my close friends because uh, it's just fun to, you know, I love it so much, but it's fun to share it with those who you love. And I had my mom out there on an e-bike. She never would have been able to do a ride like this without an e-bike. So I'm a big pro proponent of e-bikes and we had a great time. Now we can dive in uh, a little bit later about e-bikes and talk about that, but she didn't actually join you on the ride from Colorado to No, she met, they drove with her friends. They drove the bikes out to Council Bluffs and then did the ride, but still the ride is seven days and about 450 miles. So even on an e-bike, you know, everybody's like, oh, you don't get any exercise because the, the motor does all the work. That's really not true. You get quite a bit of exercise. And you're still, you're sitting on a small bike seat for eight hours a day. So that was new for my mom and at times uncomfortable, but she was a good sport. Yeah, she was a good sport. Well, hey, since we're talking about mom and we're talking about the e-bike, let's just dive into that because I know this was a huge game changer for your mom. Yeah, so I got my mom this e-bike about a year and a half ago. I got her a Priority e-bike. It's a brand that I work with quite a bit out of New York. And they make these low maintenance bikes. Their whole goal is to make bicycles that 
essentially just don't break. Because one of the main things that keep people off their bikes is a flat tire or something really small a lot of times, and it'll just sit in their garage forever. So Priority has made bikes uh, using essentially a lot of internal gearing systems and the carbon belt drive, which is essentially a no maintenance drivetrain. So anyway, I got her this new Priority e-bike and yeah, she got the little panniers on the back to, to carry groceries and she goes to her workout class at the YMCA and she meets up with friends because all of her friends have gotten e-bikes now. So they have this older ladies e-bike gang going on here in Boulder. And it's a lot of fun to see to see her enjoy life on two wheels. She was never, ever a bike rider in any way, shape or form, even though her son, me, lives and breathes bicycles. That was never part of her life. Yeah. And uh, before we talk a little bit more about how much you live and breathe bicycles, uh, she joined you down on the trip to, to Mexico. She did. So this last trip to the Mexico, to the Copper Canyon, she came with me as well. This was her first time. And I've kind of been on a world tour of showing my mom my favorite places. You know, I go on these trips and I come home and I tell her all about it. And she's like, wow, that sounds really cool. And, you know, I, can't, I don't want to just tell my mom how cool it is. I want to show her. So she decided to come on down and she had a great time. She got to meet all my friends down there and it was really wonderful. I brought my mom now to Burning Man as well. Ragbri, you know, I took her on a, a Christmas cruise through the Danube River this past December visiting Christmas markets all over Germany. So uh, I've been spoiling my mom lately, but she deserves it. Yeah, she does. And, and she just retired, uh, uh, what, a couple years ago? She did. She retired a couple years ago. She was a single mom. She raised four kids on her own. So she is really enjoying life without having to do anything but have fun. Right. So uh, since we're talking about mom and we're talking about you, uh, you know, growing up there in in the Boulder area, how did Ryan Van Duzer become this activity ambassador, as I like to call you? How did that happen? Well, I as a as a young boy, I was always fascinated by the Discovery Channel and jungles and far off places and adventure. But you know, again, like I said, my mom was a single mom, four kids. We didn't have money to go on advent or to go on vacations. So I just took it into my own hands and I remember I got my first bicycle, a red Diamondback Sorrento that I actually won in a race when I was like 10. And that bike was my freedom machine. And I would ride it all over Boulder, around the trails around here, just by myself. And I loved the feeling of getting outside, moving my body on a bicycle and just and exploring. And that's essentially how it started is just riding my bike. And, I, you know, I turned 16, all my friends got cars. And I was like, no, I'm never going to get a car. I'm going to ride my bike for the rest of my life. And that's essentially what I've done. I've never, still never had a car. I'm 41 years old. I ride my bike everywhere to commute. I ride my bike to adventure around the world. And I absolutely love just being outside and sleeping under the stars. I'm also a big runner. So I love just running on the trails and you know, I live in Boulder. I might as well take advantage of these uh, stunning surroundings. Yeah. So an interesting fact uh, about you is you did eventually get a driver's license. When did that yeah. happen and why did that happen? <laughs> you called me out. Um, I got a driver's license at age 32 because I was doing Land Rover commercials for a video series I was doing for Men's Journal. And I, I'll never forget the day. I didn't think I was going to have to drive the car. I was in a meeting in New York City and they're like, so yeah, we're going to have you behind the wheel driving the car. You'll be talking to the camera. And I was like, wait a second. I don't 
I don't drive. I can talk to the camera, no problem, but I don't drive. And they're like, oh, we're going to have to change this. So I had to learn really quickly, just enough to get my driver's license. My mom taught me at age 32. It was a pretty funny scenario. And I just barely got my license so I could do these commercials. And still to this day, I rarely, rarely drive a car. But uh, if you need me to be in a car commercial, I can do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> If you twist my arm, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Which is a funny thing because I'm always promoting bicycle people for bikes and bicycle advocacy. And here I am making car commercials, but I guess you got to make money somehow. So I, I, I look at it as a means to an end. I'll take the money from these, these car commercial jobs and use it toward bicycle advocacy. Right. Well, so since you brought up the topic, let's talk about how Ryan Van Duzer makes money. Tell, <laughs> tell us about money? How tell us about your job because it's got to be one of the coolest jobs there is. Yeah, that's one of the questions I get all the time. A lot of people think I'm just some rich trust fund kid, which is very far from the truth. But these days, I make money as a YouTuber. I'm a 40 year old YouTuber. I know YouTube is a, is a pretty young audience, but there's a little something for everybody. So I create a lot of outdoor adventure video content. A lot of it revolves around cycling and running and just being outside. My goal is to inspire people to get off their couches and, you know, challenge themselves to whatever adventure they want to do. And I work with different brands and they, you know, like Priority Bikes, like I mentioned earlier, or Trek Bikes or clothing companies. And I work with these brands and essentially they pay me to be in my videos and they're essentially buying my audience's eyes because they know my audience loves outdoor stuff. And they figure, OK, if Ryan's riding this bike all the time good chance people are going to want to inquire about this bicycle or this jacket or whatever it is. So I make money that way. I make money off YouTube ads. Everybody watches YouTube and you see the little pre-roll ads that go before video starts. I get a tiny fraction of that money. And uh, that's essentially how I make money is through video production. I worked in the TV world for years. I worked for the Travel Channel and other networks doing the typical TV stuff. But I love YouTube. YouTube is is... I think the most wonderful thing ever invented besides the bicycle. I love the freedom I have to tell the stories that I want to tell. Yeah, definitely. The, the storytelling aspect is, is so powerful. And having been watching you and, and following your work for many years, I can say, you know, for our listeners, it's, Hey, tune in. It's, it's some really, really fun stuff. It's some crazy stuff. And yeah, I mean, the whole point is, is it's entertaining. It, it, it engages you and you'll 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 get to meet Ryan's mom. She's out there on occasion. But what I also love about it is it's instructional too. You you've got some, you know, videos that you've put together that that help explain what it's like to live a car-free lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, like I said, like the, the main goal of my channel is to inspire people to get outside. We live in a world where we're always inside, nine to five jobs, so we, we commute to work in our cars, and we go to the movie theater. Like We do so many things inside that we're not that connected to the natural world anymore. And I truly believe that if more humans would get outside and breathe fresh air and just walk barefoot through the grass, we would be a lot better off as a society. I think we'd be a lot more relaxed and happy and chilled out. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm just trying to get um, get people off their couches. 
Yeah, off their couches or, you know, push back away from the computer screen because you and I are, are are kind of in that situation. We work from home and we're staring at at our computer screen, either, you know, editing video or now I'm uh, editing a lot of audio. Uh, and it's sometimes hard to push away from the screen, from the work, put the work down and get out and enjoy I- any any hints, any, any advice you have for folks that are just like, but Ryan, but John, it's so hard to put the work down. There's a lot of excuses. We're really good at making excuses. We humans are, but I always tell people to start small. You know, I see the people see my ventures and they're like, well, I could never ride my bike across the country because it's too physically hard and I don't have the time to do it. And, you know, I, I understand that, but maybe just start small, ride your bike to the grocery store ride your bike to work or go on, you know, if you want to become a runner and run your first five kilometer race, like start small, run a kilometer at a time and then run and walk and run and walk and, and just get your body used to that motion. And I promise you, I've never heard anybody on this planet who have ever gone on a bike ride or a run and come home and said, I wish I hadn't done that. It's complete opposite. Once you get outside, you're like, wow, I feel so much better. Nature is therapy. Moving your body is therapy. And it is it just takes the first few steps to to get started. Yeah. And I think you mentioned also, you know, in in referencing your mom and the fact that she has her little group, her little posse that she's, you know, connected with. Uh, finding out, you know, who your tribe is, you know, connecting with some yeah. friends that uh, that you can meet up with that can help support you. Absolutely. Uh, and that and that's something that's incredibly encouraging to hear that, you know, having sort of followed your mom's uh, progress through starting to ride a little bit, that she's still inspired and, and it's a great deal of fun, you know. So, yeah, we got to find our tribes and, and get out yeah. there and do that. And to go along with that, like my mom, until she got an e-bike, she'd never ridden a bicycle with me ever in her life. And now she can and she can keep up. She can beat me going up hills on her e-bike. So it's a it's a it's a great equalizer. And he's not kidding. There's there's video evidence of this. There is. There's evidence of my mom whooping my butt. (laughs) That's good stuff. Ryan, what's new for you for 2020? Any any big breaking news that the listeners are just going to be like, oh, cool. Yeah, I wish I had some big breaking news. My life kind of comes together as it rolls along. You know, I just spent a month in Baja in the month of January, riding my bike on the Baja Divide, an off-road route down the Baja. And that was a really big goal to finally finish. I started this route two years ago. And it was just really hard and beat me up. And I essentially quit. I went home. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. It hurts too much. And I went home and I I was thinking about it for two years. And then I went back this January and finished up the, uh, the adventure. And it was absolutely beautiful in every way. I'm putting out those videos right now on my YouTube channel. So that was a big adventure to do. And then I went straight to the Copper Canyon. So I'm just kind of chilling out right now. I have a goal of riding the length of uh, Great Britain in June from the very pop bottom land's end to the top of Scotland, John O'Groats, which would be really fun. I'm not sure how that's all going to shake out with the coronavirus stuff. Um, but I, you know, I'm not personally all that scared of it, but I don't know how travel is going to be affected in the near future with all that stuff. So, you know, my the, the rest of the year, I'm just going to be 
creating content on my YouTube channel, building up my channel, interacting with my audience, trying to inspire people to get off their couches, keep on doing what I'm doing, and we'll see what adventures come my way. Nice, nice. Now, I believe that either the week that you were down in Baja or getting started or maybe the the day that you were taking off, uh, something new dropped on my Amazon Prime feed. And I watched a really cool, uh, I think I paid like a buck 99 to, yeah. to watch my buddy Ryan do a really cool concept. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that. So before YouTube, I worked in the TV world for years. And to even go back further than that, my first job in the media world was a public access TV show here in Boulder on Channel 54 called Out There. And the whole goal was to get people off the couches, very similar to what my YouTube content is. And I got together with some of my friends to actually make like a, you know, much more highly produced TV show pilot of this idea where... I, you know, make a call out on social media, say I'm going to, in this case, I went to Boston. I said, hey, Boston friends, I'm coming to Boston. We're going to go stand up paddleboarding. Who's with me? And the idea is to get just normal people involved in some outdoor activities. So I went to Boston, uh, met a whole bunch of wonderful people, got them all on stand up paddleboards. I was also a rookie. They were all rookies. So we were learning together. And it became this really fun family experience of us learning together in the freezing cold Boston winter of, uh, of stand-up paddleboarding. We went on some runs, and it was really cool. So the idea of the show, Get Out There, is to you know take what I'm doing on YouTube uh, to the next level. And so we made a nice episode that's on there on, on Amazon right now, and we're in you know uh, pre-production talks of some future episodes. Nice, nice. And what I re really liked about that particular concept is, is you're right. It was something that it was out of your own comfort zone. You, yeah. you didn't know how to do stand up paddleboarding. Yeah. And so you were right there along with the rest of the crew, the people who showed up yep. learning and, and, and it was tough. It was really tough and it was uncomfortable and fr freezing cold. It was January in Boston. Which is what what adds to you know the the charm of it is yeah. you know it, so let's talk a little bit about that because you, you do talk a little bit about getting into the uncomfortable zone and, and when when we're uncomfortable a little bit uncomfortable there's a lot of things that we can learn about yeah. that talk, talk a little bit about that I think when we push ourselves past our little box of comfort that's when we learn the most in life. And that's also, I think, when we gain the most confidence, you know, we're, you know, it's, it's human nature to be scared to try something new or to try something that you don't think you're going to be good at for a variety of reasons. Maybe you're just going to be embarrassed to look like a fool in front of people or, you know, you just straight up just don't have the confidence to pull something off. And that doesn't even just go strictly for physical challenges it can be anything. And, uh, you know, I truly believe that if we push ourselves a little bit more the benefits are endless. That's essentially what my mantra is with everything I do is, uh, you know, get outside, try something new. If it doesn't work, maybe you're not a cyclist. Maybe you're never going to be comfortable riding your bike on the roads. And I get that. So maybe try, you know, riding off-road or mountain biking where you don't have to deal with cars. Or maybe you just want to be a long-distance hiker or walker or whatever it is. And uh, at the end of the day, after doing something hard, you always feel really good and accomplished. And uh, I think it's invaluable for us humans to do that more often. 
what's interesting too about your life, your lifestyle is that sometimes just going about your daily routine and, and getting in your daily activities might require that you get a little uncomfortable. It yeah. might be a really, really cold day. It might be snowing like crazy. Yeah. And well, if you've got to go to the grocery store, you're grabbing your well, bike. Riding in the your, rain. <laughs> yeah. The riding in the rain. Fun to dance in the rain or be in the rain. You know, how often do we do that? As kids, we would run around in the rain and it was like this amazing euphoric feeling. But we insulate ourselves from these little joys of life because we're scared of being uncomfortable or getting our hair wet or getting our clothes wet. And sometimes it's really nice just to be out there and act like a child and goof around. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I, I love most about you and, and about your content that you produce is there's that that joy, that's that that little bit of fun that it gets continually reinforced in the content that you're you're producing. Let's kind of talk a little bit about the most challenging aspect of doing what you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, the most challenging aspect of being running your own business as a content creator on YouTube is you never know what's going to be popular with fans. You might spend your all of your heart and soul on one certain video that you think is going to do really well, and it tanks. And it doesn't go anywhere. And there's nothing you can do about it. You try to promote it. And it just doesn't go anywhere. And it can be really disheartening because you're like, wow, okay, this one didn't work. Okay, now I got to try something else. And so for me, the YouTube journey has been really fun and beautiful in a lot of ways, but also very difficult. When I first started doing this three years ago, I would make videos that would get like 57 views. And then I would make another one and get like 80 views. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm spending so much time on this to get to make these videos that essentially nobody is watching except for my mom and John Simmerman. And, <laughs> and uh, what do I do? How do I keep going at this? So you have to really be relentless with, with the idea of creating the content and just moving forward and knowing that every video you put out, you're going to get a few more people watching it and a few more people watching it. And slowly it'll catch on. You know, I have 60,000 subscribers now on YouTube, which is a good amount, but it's still tiny, tiny, tiny compared to where I want to be on YouTube. So I'm, you know, the grind is tough. And, you know, you're, when you open yourself up to the world and you tell your stories on these videos that can be seen across the world, there's a lot of times you get negative feedback. You get people who are just straight up mean and you're like, wow, okay, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So it's, it's one of those things where like every day I go to bed, I'm like, okay, what am I doing with my life? I question my decisions all the time. You know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to pull this off? How am I going to make a living doing what I'm doing? Should I just go get a safe job? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all these thoughts go through my head. And I think all humans have these thoughts all the time. And so it's a really good practice in just persevering, moving forward and sticking to your goal. And my goal is to create content that brings value to the world. So did you have ever have one of those flops that, you know, that just didn't connect, but you're like, I know this is good. Have yeah. you ever had one just kind of, you know, sort of come back to life and like, oh, now people are getting it because maybe the timing wasn't right. Yeah, I made a video once about how to go grocery shopping on a bicycle. Yeah. And at first, nobody really watched it. Most people just don't connect with why would you ever go grocery shopping on a bike? Like that's what you do in a car. People just don't get it. 
Um, and I, I forget what I had titled the video, but it, I, I ended up changing the title to essentially making it very simple, like grocery shopping for 70 pounds of groceries or whatever it was. And I think that was a more catchy title for people. And now that video has, I don't even, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of views, lots and lots of views, because I think there are more people now looking at having a bike as their main mode of transportation. And they want to know how to go grocery shopping on a bicycle or how to just do any type of daily activity on a, a bike or a cargo bike or a bike with a trailer. Um, and I love where, you know, the bike world is going in that sense is you see a lot more families in Boulder riding, you know, kids on cargo, cargo bikes and in trailers. And it's, it's really cool. Like we realize, yeah, maybe you don't need a car for everything. I'm not a car hater. I obviously understand the importance of cars, but I think 95% of our trips in America at least can be done on a bicycle. Yeah. I mean, when we actually look at the data, it's somewhere around 30 to 40% of our trips in an urban environment are in that sweet spot zone of being very, you know, like perfect distance for, for riding a bike, you know, the, the two to three to four to five mile zone where riding a bike is, is legitimately, uh, an option, at least if it's safe, if we have safe infrastructure that's in place and, and um, you and I have both uh, had the opportunity, the fortune, uh, good fortune to, to work with the People for Bikes Foundation, who is inspiring and working hard to encourage cities to create safer, more all ages and abilities facilities uh, so that folks can be able to do daily routines by bike. Get out there and do that. Absolutely. And this goes back to, you know, my mantra of like, if you just get on your bike, it's going to be fun. It's going to make your trip to the grocery store or to work fun. Think back to our best childhood memories. And I can guess that a lot of them are when we took the training wheels off our bike and we started riding on two wheels and felt the freedom and the wind in our hair and ringing our little bells. Like we get to feel like kids again. And there's no better feeling than that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about some of your most inspirational moments. Mm. Well, let's see. I, so I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Honduras in 2003 to 2005, and I worked with at-risk youth. And I decided the best way to get home from my service in Honduras would be to ride a bicycle home. And this is essentially the start of my adventure career and my career documenting adventures. So I got on my bike with a little Bob trailer, packed my tent and everything I needed and rode my bike from Honduras all the way back to Boulder. It was about 4,000 miles. It was a beautiful adventure. I met so many wonderful people who invited me into their homes. And this is Mexico where the media really beats up on and talks about how dangerous it is. I've never had a bad experience in Mexico. And the moment I got back into town riding up Highway 93 in Golden on a beautiful cold December day, I was cresting the hill. I could see the flat irons to my left and to my right. I had, there was a big bunch of people and I was like, who are all these people? And I got up really close. And again, I had been gone over two years in the Peace Corps plus the three months on the bike ride. And that was one of the most inspirational moments of my life is all my friends and family and, and mom were there waiting for me. It was like a victory parade and they were on bikes. And from that moment, uh, riding into Boulder together, it was just incredible. So Every time I'm on Highway 93 now, I think back to that moment and I get a little emotional because it was one of those feelings like, wow, 
I, I did it. I rode my bike all the way from Honduras to Boulder. This is possible. And it was fun and amazing. And all my friends are here to, to greet me. So that was definitely an inspirational moment in my life that has stuck with me for a long time. That's fantastic. Now, I know you end up meeting a lot of your viewers and a lot of your fans uh, when you go out, you know, because you you actually project outward and say, hey, I'm going to be doing this and, yeah. and et cetera. So you get to, to meet a lot of those folks um, out on your rides. Share just a couple of stories of, you know, them communicating to you uh, how you've made an impact on their life. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's the best feeling in the world. Like I don't make a ton of money on YouTube, but when somebody writes me an email and says, Hey, I watched your videos. I bought a bike. I lost 50 pounds. You changed my life. Thank you, Ryan. Those are the emotional paychecks I get that keep me going. That's the exciting part of, of being a content creator. And one specific example was I was on Ragbri two years ago uh, just riding around, getting my day started. And I hear this guy start yelling my name, Ryan, Ryan, oh my God, it's you. I can't believe it's you. And I was like, well, I was kind of startled. This guy was so excited to meet me. And I stopped and pulled over and he got really serious for a moment. He's like, hey man, I just wanna, I wanna thank you. He's like, I went to the doctor this past year. I weighed 500 pounds. He said, if I don't lose a lot of weight quickly, I'm going to die. I just had a daughter. I can't die. I need to live for her. So I didn't know what to do to be more athletic. So I went on YouTube, started looking up outdoor activities, found your channel, really thought it was fun. And then he bought a bike and, you know, he'd lost a ton of weight. And it was one of those moments where I got to see the impact in real life of what my videos had on a human. And it was a really wonderful, powerful experience. And I've stayed in touch with this guy, Luke, Ever since, I actually gave him a bike a year later, my Trek 920. He's just a simple dude, bus driver, not a ton of money. He was riding a, a cheap junkie Schwinn bike, and he kept breaking it because he's a, still a pretty big guy. And so I gave him a, a good bike, and it's, uh, it's, been, it's been really fun to develop that relationship with him. And you have a history of giving bikes away. <laughs> I'm the Robin Hood of bikes. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about that. Cause sometimes you'll actually do that as part of your trip strategy. Yeah. yeah, totally. I gave my first bike away to the Boulder high mountain bike club like 10 years ago. And it was a good bike. It was a full suspension Klein bike. And I was like, Oh, I could sell this for some money, but who cares? I'm just gonna, I'd rather give it away to somebody who needs it. So I, I, I saw firsthand like how powerful gifting somebody a bicycle can be. And yeah, so I've incorporated giving bikes away, usually at the end of my adventures. And so this past trip in Baja uh, in January, same thing. I knew that I wanted to give my bike to somebody at the end of the adventure. I didn't know who it was going to be or how I was going to uh, meet this person. I'll give the ants, I'll give it away here, even though it hasn't been revealed on YouTube yet, how I gave it away. But uh, it was the, the last day of my ride in Baja. It was actually my birthday. And my bike started making a funny sound in the bottom bracket. I went into a bike shop. Long story short, they couldn't fix it. And the I couldn't ride it anymore either. And I still had three days to go to get to my goal destination. And I was sitting there in the bike shop and I made the quick decision just to like, well, if I can't ride my bike anymore, I'm just going to give it to this guy in the bike shop. 
And I asked him if he knew anybody that needed a bicycle. And he's like, yeah, this, this young guy next door who washes cars has never had a bike and he would love your bike, I'm sure. And so they brought him over and I said, hey man, today's your lucky day. This is your bike. And he was like, dumb. He's like, what? what do you mean? Why are you giving me this bike? He's like, I didn't expect to wake up today and have a, a new bike by the end of the day. And it was a really fun moment. And I gave him a really nice Trek 1120. It's like almost a $3,000 bike. And it was broken in that moment, but to fix it, it really wasn't going to take much, but they just didn't have the parts. So a week later, they ordered the parts, they fixed it up, and he sent me some photos on the bike, and he seems pretty psyched. Yeah, that's that's sweet. And, and I know you've yeah. done that as well in Cuba. Cuba... I've given, I've done bike giveaways just on my, my YouTube channel with priority bikes. I'm trying to, I know I've given more bikes away. I've given that one to Luke anyway. Yeah. So I, if I can, I like gifting bikes. I think it's a really fun thing to do for me. And I know how life changing it can be. My first good bike, it wasn't really gifted to me, but I won it in a race in Boulder the Diamondback Sorento and that bike changed my life. That bike is what opened up the outside world to me. And so I would love to keep for the rest of my life gifting bikes if I can. These are definitely my bikes. It's not like Trek is like, oh, here's a bike to give away. You know, it's, you know, I could be selling these bikes and making money. So, I, you know, I'm, everybody's like, oh, that's no big deal. He's giving away Trek's bikes. I'm like, no, I'm giving away my bikes. <laughs> And I know, speaking of, of bikes and having bikes, you know, sometimes they get stolen. Oh, man. Yes, they do. That's a bummer. I had some bad luck with bicycle thieves here in Boulder. Ever since I was a kid, I saved up all my money in middle school, all my lawn mowing money. And I bought a Trek 8000 when I was in middle school. And uh, I loved that bike. I rode it everywhere. This was the bike that uh, was after the Diamondback Sorento. And it got stolen out of my mom's garage in high school. And I'll never forget the day of just this, my heart dropping. Like, where's my bike? Oh, my God, it's not here. Wah! Somebody came into my mom's garage and stole it. So that was the first one. And I've had bikes stolen uh, when I went to the University of Colorado. And I had two bikes stolen most recently on Christmas Day 2017. And that was a real big bummer. Um, there's videos about a lot of these situations. I don't want to go into everything, but... Uh, the stories are pretty crazy of how I retrieved those bicycles. Yes, we'll we'll leave that cliffhanger for folks, <laughs> and they can dive into your your you know your video archive you yeah. know for those. And and I really do encourage folks to to subscribe to to Ryan's uh, YouTube channel. It's it's a real joy to see and experience uh, you know your travels, your adventures, and you you a. You're very, very talented at what you do. You blend in some just wonderful visuals. When he can, he puts his drone up and, and gets yeah. some amazing uh, shots. So as a filmmaker, too, um, any any advice that you have for people who are you know, inspired by storytelling, what would you do? Because, I mean, you've been incredibly helpful for me, uh, just like Clarence with uh, Street Films has given me lots of uh, advice over the years and, and inspiration. What advice would you have to give to, to folks that, you know, might be interested in doing storytelling? I say always tell stories that matter to you. If you're excited about the content you're making, it's going to be better. And the audience is going to see your genuine excitement. So first of all, that do that. Do something that you really care about. 
Uh, if you want to talk about more some of the technical stuff, you don't need the best cameras. You don't need the most expensive gear. You know, cell phones these days shoot 4K video. And as long as your sound is good, you can make quality content. So, it, you know, 10 years ago, you really needed big cameras, like physically big cameras and expensive gear to make TV broadcast quality stuff. Now you don't. You can use an iPhone or a $500 point and shoot or a $400 GoPro. And beyond that, it just takes a lot of effort. If you want to be a good storyteller, you have to put in the effort to get different types of shots. And that might be a pain in the butt sometimes where you're on a bike ride or a run or whatever you're doing is getting different angles and setting the, the camera up on a tripod and riding your bike past it and going back and get it and packing it up and doing that 10 times a day to make it look like you have a camera crew with you. And then on a personal note, sharing the difficult moments. For me on an adventure, it's not always fun and games. A lot of times it is hard and you want to talk to audience about why it's hard and what you're going through. Because if you're just making content that is just happy and shiny and perfect all the time, it's, it's not going to be that engaging with people. People want to root you on. They want to, to see how hard it is or what's going through your mind or, you know, whatever it is. So for me and my channel, I share a lot of my heart and soul. And that's why I love YouTube. Whereas when I worked in the TV world, I was a lot of times just reading scripts that somebody else wrote for me. And it was just, I was like doing news reporting and it was like, blah, 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 kind of boring stuff. But now, you know, I really get to talk about stuff that matters to me. I've made a video about why I quit drinking alcohol or the pains of going through heartbreak or just the physical demands of riding day after day after day after day and maybe wanting to quit like I did in Baja two years ago. It's like you don't always have to be a superhero and people relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. Any final thoughts, anything else that you'd, uh, you'd like to end with? Get off your couch and get out there. <laughs> that's, that's been my tagline ever since my cable access show. I would finish every show. I would look straight into the camera lens and say, now get off your couch and get out there. And a lot of times that's, you know, all you need to do is just stand up and walk outside and that's going to be the start of a new adventure. And maybe you're just, you walk to a restaurant tonight instead of driving your car. And when you do that, you open yourself up to a lot more. You Maybe you hear the beautiful birds singing or you walk past your neighbor and you stop and have a conversation. When we're outside, we engage more with our communities and that's what it's all about whether you're in baja mexico or siberia or the streets of boulder there is adventure around every corner i love it i love it <laughs> folks i hope you've enjoyed this conversation with mr ryan van duzer of boulder colorado he is absolutely one of the most inspirational get out there kind of guys ryan thank you so much you got it buddy thanks for having me <laughs>